this episode of Shonen Flop, where we talk about manga series and Shonen Jump that didn't make it big. I'm David. I'm Jordan. This week, we're talking about Look Back, and we're joined by our guest, our own Jethro of Mother's Basement. Uh, it's Jeff Thu. Oh, did I? I'm so sorry. You said Jethro. <laughs> I'll take Jethro. I'll take Jethro. It's a good name. <laughs> Got my made-up Jeff variation. <laughs> David's like, your name is silly. <laughs> First thing on the fucking podcast already. God damn it, David. I have trouble with like TH noises, so that might have also been. <laughs> You're fine. Just say Jeff. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. He's never going to talk to us again. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you uh, tell the audience just a quick little spiel about yourself? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, talk about anime and occasionally other stuff like the precise isekai levels of Space Jam, for example, on my YouTube channel, Mother's Basement. I liked that video, yeah. I... Uh, <coughs> <clears throat> Sorry. It's a very hot day. I live in Vancouver. That's another thing you can know about me. Mm. Today's uh, would be our record highest heat wave ever if we hadn't had our record highest heat wave ever like two weeks ago. Oh, God. That's what's going on with me. What I do is, like I said, I talk about anime and video games on my channel, Mother's Basement. Kind of started as like knockoff of every frame of painting, but for anime, <laughs> specifically anime openings. And then, you know, I, 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 I kind of just branched off from there and I make whatever I think is funny or interesting and hope that people will also find that funny and or interesting. Pretty standard YouTube content strategy, all things considered. What else can you do besides do make things you think are good and hope other people share your ideas, you know? And yeah, for what it's worth, I also think your stuff is good and funny. So, hey, we're on the same wavelength here, I guess, you know? Well, shucks. You are definitely in the Hall of Fame of guests whose content I actively watched before being on the show. Oh, well, thank you. Jordan listens to, like, a ton of, like, really obscure podcasts, so we have a lot of guests on that are awesome. But I'm like, I have never listened to your podcast before uh, You, we found out you were going to be our guest. For the other people, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <yes. laughs> Let's go into the manga details. Jeff, we wanted to cover this part i'm excited to hear you talk about it let's go look back is a manga by tatsuki fujimoto the creator of one of the shonen jumps biggest breakout hits over the last few years chainsaw man never which... heard of that series jordan shut up <laughs> we literally have a component at the end of every show saying how does this series compare to chainsaw man well, that's good. The end of this episode, you might have the first one that's better, but mm. perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, uh, if you're not familiar with Tatsuki Fujimoto's work, you will be in approximately six months or whenever the MAPPA show drops, at which point you will not be able to get away from it. You think Attack <laughs> on Titan is ubiquitous? Baby, you have no idea. I thought you were going to be like, you will in six minutes, because we're about to talk about a series he just made, or a one-shot he just made. <laughs> that too. Fujimoto, Chainsaw Man is definitely his biggest thing, but before that, he made a series called Fire Punch, which is the most batshit insane manga I think I've ever read. Yep. Like, the first chapter, you've got a guy with Wolverine's healing factor who has grown up providing food to his entire village by chopping off his and his uh, sister's limbs on a regular basis, but they grow back, so it's fine, and that's just how apocalyptic this world be. By the end of that chapter, he has been lit on fire forever with magic mutant fire that won't yep. go out until it completely burns him up, which obviously will never happen because he's got a healing factor, and he uses that to take revenge on everyone, and from there it gets substantially weirder. Let's not even get into the Star Wars stuff. I was about to mention the Star Wars. <laughs> I had to read Fire Punch. I got like a few chapters in and I was like, whoa, this is like way more fucked up than I was expecting. Yeah, I wonder when Fuji, like Shonen Jump was like, do you want to make a Shonen manga? He was like, you can trust me. And he like <laughs> winked at him. <laughs> What makes less sense is that somehow Chainsaw Man got, like, even more brutal. Yep. More sensical, too. Like, I would say that that plot makes substantially more sense. And people who've read Chainsaw Man right now are, like, looking at their screens or just staring out and being <laughs> like, how is... What? What? Well, <laughs> yeah. The other thing about uh, Chainsaw Man, which in comparison to Fire Punch that I noticed, is I feel like after he made Fire Punch, he was like... 
there was a lot of periods where there just was not enough levity. I think that um, Denji just being, like, at many times such a happy-go-lucky guy, despite all the horror, horrible things that are happening, allow you to, like, swallow the brutality that's going on. Because, like, well, Denji's still doing all right, so, like... I don't know, I won't be, like, super broken up or devastated as uh, quite as much because mm -hmm. Denji seems to be handling it in stride. The shonen protag attitude really does take the edge off. I wouldn't describe Fire Punch as lacking in levity, because Fire Punch is hilarious, but Fire Punch is hilarious on, like, a very specific B-movie so bad it's good vibe that, like, he works really hard to create, and, like, once you, like, click into it, you're like, okay, the main character's an incest cannibal because that's the most ridiculous thing he could possibly yeah. come up with, not because he thinks it's really the most compelling way to tell a story, and, like... Once you clue in that it's like trying to do the grindhouse B-movie thing and just like throw every ridiculous and defensive idea it can at the wall at once in like an entertaining way, it's very funny, but it's definitely not funny in the way that Chainsaw Man is immediately and continuously funny. Yeah. And you're probably right that he like learned a lesson in just like making his manga more accessible from how that was. And what's really interesting about Look Back, which is a one-shot, 145-chapter single... Or, or, sorry, 145-chapter. <laughs> a one-shot... That's my bad. I wrote chapter by accident. Yeah, I was looking at your, your notes. And I was like, 145? <laughs> I'm just going to give away that these notes say one shot, but it's 145 pages, so extra thick. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a one shot, 145 page, single chapter, will probably be released as one high value Tunkoban at some Ooh, point in the future. Yeah. I really hope they put it out in like a big one, like they did with Thus Spoke Rohan Kishibe, you know, like mm -hmm. so that you can get the full Shonen Jump spread experience from it. Because just <laughs> to spoil some things, I'm going to say later, it is a masterclass in paneling, page composition, shot composition, artwork, everything that you could possibly want to be good in a manga is good here. Fujimoto spent essentially the last year since Chainsaw Man wrapped working on the next stage of chainsaw man whenever that drops and making this one shot imagine what somebody who has been producing 19 pages of the best comic in the most competitive comic magazine for two years straight every week right can do with a year to put together just 145 he fucking used all that time yeah this released on july 18th 2021, I believe it was a trending topic the day it came out. People were like really excited about it for obvious reasons. I've reread it three or four times since it came out just because it's so good. I cry every time. Oh, same. I actually teared up when I was reading this. Part of the reason for that is that it channels through a different tragedy that's like very distinct but has some of the same elements a lot of the collective trauma experienced by anime and manga fans and obviously people in the industry and artists in general working in Japan in the wake of the KyoAni arson attack and it was released on the two year anniversary of that attack just to hammer home what it's I about. I would love to continue uh along that line of thought but like let me uh get into the the plot so that like the listener understands like what we're talking about everyone oh everyone knows right. <laughs> yeah everyone knows you're gonna interrupt me every fucking time i start david god shut up everyone knows that fujino <laughs> yeah is david <laughs> shut up yeah david stop interrupting <laughs> damn it david yet again everyone knows that fujino is the best comic artist in the fourth grade that is until the work of a tront girl named how did you say that Kiyomoto. no you said tront I thought it was truant. It is truant. Oh. No, a, a treant, a treant girl <laughs> named Kyoto. <laughs> an entwife. An entwife makes manga. Listen, I can't say words. Jordan knows this. This is why Jordan took over pronunciation duty for fix. Well, why don't I start over then, David? Let me let the fucking professional do it, all right? Fine, go for it. Everyone knows that Fujino is the best comic artist in the fourth grade. That is, until the work of a truant girl named Kiyamoto starts getting printed alongside Fujino's in the school newspaper with art that just completely blows hers out of the water. 
At first, she tries to improve before eventually giving up drawing altogether. A couple months later, she is asked to deliver an elementary school graduation certificate to Kiyomoto, who turns out to be such a huge fan of her old comics that they decide to collaborate on a manga. The two get a lot of praise, including an honorable mention in Shonen Jump itself. But to Fujino's chagrin, I know I almost fucked that up again, (laughs) Kiyomoto decides to break up their team to go to art school. Fujino continues working, becoming a highly successful mangaka with her series Shark Kick, when she sees a news broadcast about a massacre at Kimoto's art school where a mentally ill man went on a rampage killing her friend with a pickaxe. Fujino blames herself for her friend's death, traveling back to Kiyomoto's house and reminiscing about how she misses her friend and how much they loved working together. She dejectedly imagines a world where she was able to save Kiyomoto's life by defeating the killer. Returning to the present, she goes back to her office and continues working on manga. It's super worth noting that the trigger for that is toward the middle of the story as they're embarking on their career. She says to Kiyomoto, Kiyomoto, just follow my back and you'll become a great artist. And then the two things that make her realize she needs to get back off hiatus and keep making manga are one, seeing her old jacket. She had a jacket emblazoned Mm. with her name. I forget the name of the type of jacket. It's a specific Japanese piece of clothing. Yeah. So her jacket that she was always drawing in is hanging on the back of Kiyomoto's door because every day that Kiyomoto was drawing, she was looking at her friend's back. Looking back. Yeah! Oh, shit! Title drop. What is this, some sort of look back? (laughs) (laughs) Fujimoto, you fucking god. Fucking Chadamoto. Absolute god. And the other thing is the realization that Kyomoto was waiting eagerly for every next chapter of Shark Kick because Kyomoto is and always has been Fujino's biggest fan. So we mentioned the uh, the arson attack. This is very clearly meant to be a tribute because there's there's a lot of similarities between the two events. Do you think like uh, Fujimoto had like a friend there, or is this more like a uh, just a general feeling for the industry? Yeah. So I don't know how actually personal it is. I have a feeling that it's not as autobiographical as it seems. I think that there is a huge autobiographical aspect to it, obviously. I mean, the main characters' names, Fujino and Kiyomoto, obviously, they make up Fujimoto. And then the first part of uh, Kiyomoto is Kyo. That is very direct. I do also want to say, like you mentioned, uh, Fujimoto's a workhorse, and uh, Fujino, the way that she essentially handles the grief from her friend's death is to just go back to her office and just keep working on the manga that she and her friend loved making and that her mm. friend loved so much. It's just the the scene at the very end where it's so underplayed, understated, where she's just working at her desk is incredibly powerful. I also want to say the previous uh, episode of Shonen Flop, where we the previous manga that we have covered where we determined this is the best series that we have read for this is... Uh, Time Paradox Ghostwriter, which is also a series where a manga artist and author makes a series about being an artist. I love when manga artists do this because you can tell they're pulling from very real feelings. Like, I am an artist myself. I went to art school. I've been drawing, like, all my life. And a lot of the shit they were talking about and how you feel, uh, like, you know, you grow up and everybody around you tells you, oh, you're amazing! You're the best artist ever! Holy shit! And then you start meeting actually really fucking good artists and you're like, damn, I suck. Everyone's full of shit. They're lying to me. They just don't have good taste. I fucking suck. (laughs) And now I want to stop. It was an incredibly, like, relatable moment. Imposter syndrome all the way down. Yeah. On the subject of, like, how autobiographical this is, I think Fujino and Kiyomoto's strengths as artists obviously correspond pretty well to what Fujimoto is good at as an artist. Yeah. And what probably what he relies on uh, assistance for, the, the backgrounds. I don't know. I need to look more into what Fujimoto's process is. I don't know how much of that has been publicized so far, but it just fascinates me. Because, obviously, Obviously, Fujino and Kiyomoto both have parts of Fujimoto's name. It stands to reason that they both represent an aspect of him as a creator. So maybe what's being said here is that, like, seeing that happen made a part of Fujimoto die. Mm. Like, I mean, Chainsaw Man was always really dark and fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) 
but like around the time of that attack i think it got even darker and more fucked up Mm -hmm. i think a lot of stuff got channeled into there from that collective trauma i mean fujimoto probably knew artists who worked at kyoto animation absolutely i'll see if i can find just what arc it was at but one thing in particular i really appreciate that you brought up how the characters seem to represent different pieces of themselves something i kind of got a vibe from was that fujino kind of represents maybe the like writing creativity while uh kimoto represents more of the actual true like artistic talent and that's kind of how they divvied up their skill set when they were collaborating pretty sure fujino is japanese for like sentence oh well it's interesting because if you look at their uh, we'll, we're just getting into the characters now anyway so yeah yeah go for fujino it. when you compare the two she's uh, her art is mostly based on the writing like she has stick figures she has like goofy looking characters it's worth noting that her sense of humor is amazing. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, every four coma that is, like, put in this manga, because there's a few manga within the manga, is just, like, it kills me. There's one where, like, uh, a boyfriend and girlfriend are about to die due to an accident, and they're like, we'll, we'll kiss each other when we're re- or find each other when we're reincarnated. And then it's like, oh, we reincarnated, and there's a meteor coming to destroy the Earth. No, no, one of them is the meteor, and one of them right, is right, the Earth, right. and they're gonna kiss. <laughs> By the way, um, if you guys are curious, so it was actually around the time of, like, when Beam shows up, is around the time when the accident happens. So I wonder... If that is a deliberate that... Shark kick, you mean? Is that what you think that's like a deliberate? Yeah, so that's around the time when Beam first shows up and they do the training and they have to do Operation Super Smart is around the time when the accident occurred. So the training where they just keep dying over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Another thing I I thought was really cool about Fujino is she, yeah, she starts out and all the middle school is like, oh, you're so cool. And what I like is when she's trying to get better because she gets like intimidated by Kiyomoto's skill as like a challenge is that she gets a bunch of art books and their art books, like I didn't have those exact art books, but I had those art books. Perspective for artists, anatomy for artists, you know, they're all like stock books that you just get if you're a kid who wants to become a good artist. Like, so many aspects of this were just very clearly Fujimoto talking about maybe not himself as a person, but the process of becoming a good artist. It always takes a lot of practice and a lot of work. And self-destruction. You have to give up a lot of stuff that you love to pursue a talent like that to the point where it becomes a viable career. Speaking of which, Jeff, would you like to talk about like the personification of kind of spending way too much time on your hobby, aka Kiyomoto? <laughs> yeah, so Kiyomoto is a shut-in who spends basically all of her time practicing drawing. She doesn't go to school, she just focuses on her art. She's still doing well enough to graduate, so I guess she's doing work at home. She's like all in on being an artist, and not just like a manga artist. She's very specific that she wants to create these, like, intensely detailed paintings and drawings, one of which will look very familiar to Chainsaw Man fans. Oh, I don't think I picked up on this one. In the last flashback to her art school, take note of what she is painting. Oh my god. What I really liked about uh, Fuji or uh, Kiyomoto's, uh, the fact that she draws backgrounds, is it points to the fact that, you know, she was just stuck in her room and all she kind of had were the walls and the outside window. And she seems to be very afraid of painting people. Like, she doesn't like to look at people. Like, it's intimidating to her. So by drawing only the backgrounds, it kind of symbolizes that she stands in the background while um, Fujino only does the foreground elements. So it's like, oh, she's very much like about the more overt stuff while she misses the stuff that's around her. Fujino also like wants attention, clearly, whereas Kyomoto is just all about creating stuff and working with people she thinks is cool. Mm -hmm. What I think's really interesting is like Fujino is like intimidated by how good Kyomoto's art is, but like Kyomoto, and I think this that this is a true true of a lot of the most talented artists out there. Kyomoto just like sees what's good in Fujino's art. She's a fan, even though 
Fujino's art is like very middle school level at the start and still pretty middle school level by the time they meet. She just admires her imagination and, you know, her ability to draw expressive characters and stuff like that. Reading between the lines, you can sort of like see what's good about that. And like Kyomoto focuses on that with other people, but like is intensely critical of her own shit. Whereas Fujino is like always, if she can't say my shit's the best, she just won't talk. Yeah. And when she admires somebody else's work, it's like quietly from afar and with a little bit of resentment. Jeff, are you familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yes. For those who aren't familiar with it, it's the idea that people who are better at something tend to think that they're worse at it because they're more aware of what it means to be really good at it. Whereas people who aren't very good at something are more susceptible to thinking that they're better than they are just because they're not as knowledgeable on the art itself. That's why you always say you're the worst co-host in the world. Yes, you get it, David. It's because I'm actually the fucking best. He really needed that one to, God, to hear that finally, today. Jeff. Yeah, tell me I'm the worst. More. I'm not gonna call you a bad boy on this podcast. Oh, but I'm so I'm so bad. By the way, just one um, detail that I noticed in particular about this whole like background foreground character thing is there was a really interesting scene when they actually are out in the snow and uh, Fujino is like, "You can just watch my back," and it actually shows Kimoto where she is kind of in the background, so she's kind of not drawn as clearly. But when they switch perspective to uh, Kimoto. Moto saying, you're right, I'll do that. Fujino actually doesn't become blurry. She still remains in focus, so they share the focus rather than switching focus, which I thought was a really interesting visual metaphor for the nature of their personalities. I have to reread this like a few more times because there is just so much stuff that just sticks out every time I reread it, which is, I mean, hell, that's that's the mark of a good fucking piece of literature, you know? The depth in it is just remarkable. Yeah. We said in the Chainsaw Man episode, this is like really the f- main Shonen Jump series. I feel like I could write like, you know, like a 10 page lit paper for a college class on. God, absolutely. Fujimoto has a real legitimate literary skill. Fujimoto, what strikes me about their work is that they're not just doing genre pastiche when they hit on a send up of Sharknado or something like that. (laughs) They're actually like referencing it the way that classic literature references other classic literature. Totally know what you mean, because like when we first see the uh, see the four panel comic that she makes about how, ah, we're about to die due to an accident, we see that exact same panel again after Kiyomoto has actually died due to an accident. And so there is sort of a reincarnation there like the comic, except it's an imagined one. Yeah. By the way, I think these are a lot of really good positives. Do you mind if we just talk real quickly about what it doesn't do well, and then we can really get into more detail about all the strengths of the series? Yeah, David, tell me about why this manga actually sucks. All right, so I'll do that right now. So this one definitely is nitpick central, because this, I would say, is nothing short of a masterpiece, and I don't think you guys would be hard-pressed to disagree with me on that statement, especially because I think Jeff called it a masterpiece before, so I'll assume his opinion has not changed throughout this recording. Yes. So really, the there's minor things like the art, yeah, like sometimes the, the faces look a little weird and they're just like not drawn to the same level of clarity. It was like weird in the first few pages. But really the biggest thing I think ultimately is this chapter has a very large learning curve to actually getting the full effect of his writing. You have to really have probably read a lot of manga or you need to understand Chainsaw Man or Fire Punch to really understand why this is such a masterpiece. And that's nothing I think as a fault to the creator and I wouldn't have him change anything. But it is just a statement of that is something that is a weakness of this where you can't have someone who who's never read manga before, read this and fully understand why it's so great. I don't know if I totally agree with that. This is a strong enough story where I really do think that this could be read uh, without having any knowledge and it would, you would still get the emotional impact. But you are correct. Like, Jeff, I went back and lo- and saw what uh, Kiyomoto was painting and my mind is fucking blown now. <laughs> I don't know if I can continue this, uh, this recording. I have to lie down. But... <laughs> Do you mind telling the audience what it was? She's painting the door from Chainsaw Man. No, I I do think you get more out of having an understanding of Chainsaw Man and stuff, but like 
the broad strokes and the the literary aspect of it is strong enough where it can stand on its own. And I will also say, my first reading of this chapter, I liked it a lot, but yeah, I don't think I really appreciated it until my second read through. Because the second time, it's like you just start picking up on all the subtleties and all the implications and everything in the lines and the overall kind of thing. And by the end of my second reading, I was just like, oh, this is fucking incredible. This is fantastic. Did anyone else read this while listening to Don't Look Back in Anger? Because that's what I did on my (laughs) third reread is I just put it on loop and it really added to the experience, to be honest. I haven't done that, but I will try that now because that seems like a good idea. (laughs) That's my next read through, yeah. Aren't we supposed to be talking about what it doesn't do well still? I will mention kind of the only thing that like we do have to talk about is the fact that it does have uh, at the end, the the bad guy who kills Kiyomoto is kind of presented as like a generic guy with uh, schizophrenia or some kind of severe mental illness where he thinks that the art that they're putting out was uh, ripping off his own ideas, which is reflective of the actual event. It still is like kind of a little problematic to just uh, present, uh, oh, you know, like a scary mentally ill person. It's hard to do it without doing that because I think it also ties into some of the symbolism in the series. Like, I think he works through it pretty well. I should also mention in uh, printings of this in Japan, they have taken that part out. He no longer makes like explicit mention to being somebody with schizophrenia or somebody who is having like a severe mental illness episode, which I I totally understand. I'm not sure whether or not it detracts from it. It's one of those things where like, um, it's hard to change one thing without changing a bunch of other things when you have a series that's actually done well. I just feel like ultimately, I feel like he was kind of forced to because this 145 pages is really long for a one shot like this. When we talked about Twitter, some of the Twitter mangakas were like, what, 145 pages? What the fuck? I think it was just he like he couldn't give this guy backstory. He couldn't give him motivation. And he was like, this is a cultural zeitgeist shortcut. My dog told me to shoot the president, that kind of stuff. You know, that's just what you have to do, even if it's really just not a very, I would say, politically correct way to handle schizophrenia. Problematic elements aside, I think that he's not really supposed to be a character. It's supposed to be more of a representation of an idea. Like, the yeah. characters are supposed to be Fujino and Kiyomoto. It's, it was very deliberate that all the other characters really are just in the background because he really wanted to focus on these two characters and their relationship. So the actual... Um, motivations of the killer kind of doesn't matter. It's really just the fact that her friend went to art school and then was killed. That's really the point. Yeah, the killer's side note, which is why I think it's okay to use that shorthand. It is also, you know, like you said, drawing on a real event. The dismissive depiction of, oh, it's just schizophrenia does come from like the news broadcasts in the manga, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, it's not like any of the characters saying this is how it is. That's just how it's presented. So while it's potentially harmful, I think it's not as harmful as a lot of things that touch on similar subjects matter especially because it is based on a real on like kind of a real thing and it's like if you're gonna talk about that story that is what happened that is fair it doesn't represent all people with schizophrenia or mental illness in general, but it's not like purporting to. It's, it's you know, it's just a side thing. It is definitely worth noting, and that's probably uh, also, to an extent, a bad habit picked up from lots and lots of horror media where that is an extremely common trope. And I do want to throw out there, uh, just like, just as a statement, even though you do have instances of um, people with severe mental illness perpetrating violence, the vast majority of the time it is the people with mental illness who face the violence you know like the vast majority of the time it's just like a couple instances that have stuck in the public zeitgeist you know i think you guys are right and it's just to be honest i'm starting a new job where i'm doing a lot of social awareness in particular with like job hiring for my new job so maybe it's just like i'm just being overly sensitive right now to these kind of struggles people are going through no, I think it's absolutely something that should be talked about. I mean, it was clearly enough of an issue to, for Shonen Jump was like, you can't say that he is uh, actually mentally ill or stuff or having like a specifically uh, schizophrenic episode. That's fair. And then Jeff, did you have any negatives that you uh, feel like you haven't had a chance to discuss yet? I've really got no complaints about this manga. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about why this fucking kicks ass. All right. So Jeff, what would you say are really uh, some strengths that really stood out to you about the series? everything 
<laughs> All right, next section. I definitely agree with the point that to a certain extent, it can be hard to fully appreciate everything that this manga is doing well. Mm-hmm. I am only using that to transition into talking about how this manga basically takes every single paneling technique that's been developed over the last several decades of shonen manga development. It draws inspiration from everything that's big right now and a lot of really small, interesting, experimental works. It's just a very, very complete look at everything manga has going for it as an art form in the form of a story about making manga. In my Reject Anime Return to Manga (laughs) video, I spent like three or four minutes just focusing on like explaining why the paneling in the first 16 pages is so good. And I barely scratched the surface. You could write an easily an hour long video essay just breaking down page by page all of the neat little tricks in this book and still be nowhere near done. There's just a fantastic moment that I think David also pointed yeah. out where um, when she discovers that uh, there was an attack on Kiyomoto's art school, there's a moment where Fujino tries to call Kiyomoto and then you just see it's like she puts it down indicating that nobody picked up and then you just see a call from her mom and then the art style just changes to be sketchier and it's like, oh, you know. Yeah. Just by doing that, you immediately know. That was by far my favorite moment was just how she tries and calls and you just see there's no dialogue. It's just you see that she didn't pick up and then she gets a phone call from her mother and that's all in one page and that's really a masterclass where I feel like a lot of offers would have done that in two or three pages instead of one singular page. The restraint is amazing. Fujimoto loves going ham with spreads and layouts and stuff like that. Chainsaw Man is just a treat for the eyes in its own way. But <laughs> this is is very restrained and keeps mm-hmm. everything within like a very realistic and sensible manga framework for most of its run while still doing really incredible things like Fujino's moment where she like breaks into running in the rain and just is just like dancing in the field. That's one of my favorite spreads in any manga ever yes that was a great page it just like uses the format of like a big bold shonen manga spread to capture like the excitement of youthful exuberance it's really clever there's also you know that bookstore scene Mm -hmm. she walks into a bookstore pulls out one book one sketchbook and walks back out that's just like perfect editing all you need of that scene and all of that like very restrained realistic editing sort of unravels as the psychological state of Fujino unravels and Fujimoto gets into what I think is his best strength toward the end, which is bending space and time in using the page. And just the whole last flashback forward, is it a flashback fantasy sequence that Fujino goes through as she's processing her grief is just like- Incredible. It disorients you, but like in a way that is 100% intentional. We're also preparing for an episode on Build King. That series disorients you in ways that it is not meant to disorient you. (laughs) (laughs) That is probably the worst thing we've ever had to read for Shonen Flop. Spoilers. Something else that I really like about the way that Fujimoto does this, he does a lot of panels where it's just, they're very similar drawings of Fujino sitting at a desk drawing. And what I love about those is all it does is just communicate time is passing and she is working very hard at this. And you you get like so much just from those very subtle repetitions. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a technique he used a lot in Chainsaw Man. I wouldn't be surprised if he really learned to master it because that is a time-saving technique as well. Like looking at the bookstore, I can't tell if he drew it twice, but he definitely didn't need to. And it's just so clever how it lets you reuse art while still giving a sense of kind of a change in mood with the exact same art. The background is definitely copy-pasted from panel to panel. It's like he would be dumb not to. Yeah. So let's let's go into the other stuff that this does really well. Um, Fujimoto's always been really good at crafting like very strange characters with bold personalities that resonate on like a really deep and human level. And this is probably his best example of that so far. Like it focuses on just two characters, really one for about 70% of it. And the exploration of those characters is so compelling and complete and and deep that, like I said, you you can go into this like four or five times and still be finding something new. It's just really incredible character writing. To tie into that, I also appreciate that this series was definitely the most personal, which 
you know, goes without saying, but like this is the lowest stakes. This is probably his least violent. I know mur- there is a murderer, but this could have potentially gotten like a PG rating. And it's such a change of pace from both a stake and the way it presents its action that it really also shows Fujimoto really challenging himself creatively when he's just so well known for these grandiose stories with a ton of violence. In mm-hmm. It also just occurred to me that the violence, the actual uh, mentally ill guy that we see and the guy who says this stuff about it is actually Fujino imagining what happened yeah. and creating a fantasy in her head about how this would work. Mongified oversimplification in the context of the story of what actually happened to, to help her cope with her grief. Right, like she shows up and does a flying kick into him, you know, like. (laughs) Should be noted, one of only two times in this entire manga that somebody breaks out of a panel. Ooh. Mm. I definitely miss that. But I think we've talked about how awesome the paneling is, as Jeff has said. Yeah. There's other things to praise about this series. And Jeff, I appreciate you keeping us on track. I could tell this could be a three-hour recording if we don't be tight about things, so I appreciate it. <laughs> People are going to be talking about this thing for years, just like Chainsaw Man. The one thing that like I really think is, is brilliant about it is how it uses aspects of manga, both within its story and as framing devices for its story. Mm -hmm. I talked about this in my video too, so I don't have to go into too much detail, but one of the early frames, like right after Fujino is first shocked by how good Kyomoto's art is, she is like wandering alone and sad through this big empty field. And the field is detailed and inked in in more or less exactly the same way as the art that made her feel so intimidated. And she's drawn as being really small within that. Oh, I love that. The way that she draws people. Yeah, the way that she draws people. Just a brilliant encapsulation of how she's feeling, why she's feeling that way. The scene setting is also perfect because it sets up this metaphor of sowing seeds that eventually grow into what you really want to do. And how, you know, you just got to draw a lot, stupid. The main rule that is totally useless, but it's the one that we always get because nobody else knows what the fuck to say. (laughs) Because there is no shortcut, right? Yeah. Some people have a preternatural talent for moving their wrists around and and making pretty drawings, but like that talent only gets you so far as Fujino becomes increasingly aware when her comics that she spends 30 minutes on every weekend get put next to an artist who spends all their time every day drawing, right? Yeah. Like, it's good advice. I would say the only really universally applicable advice for any artistic passion, you have to fucking do it a lot to the point where you're in danger of hating it the only way to get better at making art is to just make really really bad art for a really long time and then magically it just starts getting good (laughs) it's like our first episodes of this podcast they're not the the best episodes ever but they get better over time and that's what matters yeah hey have you seen my first videos jesus (laughs) i know what i'm doing after yeah watch them now (laughs) Uh he's like unlisting them while we're recording (laughs) i've taken away a lot from when i was in video game design school because that's I took a very weird path to get to where I am. But the one thing that stuck with me, I think, the hardest out of anything I learned at game design school, you need to fail faster. That is how you make great shit. You put stuff out there. You have to be willing to make something bad. You have to be willing to make something that you won't like. Mm -hmm. And just the more stuff you put out, the better your average level of quality will be just by virtue of the practice. And it's something that's really hard. It's been really on my mind. I'm literally starting a brand new job where I have to learn all these new skills and I know I'm going to fuck up a bunch of times before I really get the hang of everything. But that's both the scary and the exciting part about when you try and challenge yourself to grow as a person. I totally agree. This series, I mean, it's very much about the process of becoming an artist and about the hardship that an artist experiences, both mentally and uh, how taxing it can be. Especially with Shonen Jump is a very real thing to talk about, you know? You talk about the fucking burnout these people go through. I mean, apparently the guy from Toriko just straight up cannot draw anymore and can't write anymore, apparently, according to Build King, at least. Jordan, we promised we wouldn't talk about Build King. I can't not talk about it! (laughs) I think that might be a sign that maybe we should move to the next topic. If If we're we're on Build King. 
<laughs> yeah. Let's uh, shift to the next topic where, while this was a mini series, let's talk about a little bit just where it could have gone if it was turned into a full series. I know you guys in general didn't seem to think that this really needed to go anywhere, unlike a lot of other one shots. And for the most part, I agree. But I think if we were to make it, I think this could be a fun anthology series where maybe it's just about the lives of different manga artists. And it's really talking a lot about where do they get their inspiration from? Like maybe he creates like, you know, five or six little fake manga, like how Bakuman had that. You first see like maybe 10 chap 10 pages of a fake manga, and then it pulls out and you learn kind of the parallels of their creative process where they got their inspiration of which is talked about in the series a little bit, you know, when they go to the aquarium and that inspires the series and all that scene. But I think that would be a fun way to really get into the psychology of different people and how different people approach the creative process. I don't know. I'm just like, saying it, if I had to say this had to turn into a series, I'm not saying that's the best idea. I just don't think it's the best idea. The series isn't really about creating manga. The series is about the relationship between Kiyomoto and uh, Fujino. I know you're you're fitting it in there and I totally get it. But yeah, uh, I would rather talk about what do you think Shark Kick's like? <laughs> I want to read right, right. Shark Kick. I want to read Shark Kick real bad. <laughs> It's like Fire Punch, except if that was Beam from Chainsaw Man and he kicks instead of punches. God, Beam is just the best character in Chainsaw Man. Beam rules. Beam is a delight. What do you think? He's got like a shark demon in his heart. He's got like a little shark puppy at the beginning. Since it's Fire Punch, maybe he's got a healing factor and then he got bit by a shark or he got- He just always has a shark chewing on his <laughs> leg. No, the actual guy's just inside the shark puppeting it because he can't die. <laughs> so he was just eaten by a regular shark, right? And now he's inside the shark with his, like, arms sticking out of the shark. And I guess the shark's got a healing factor, too, so that it doesn't die from that. <laughs> okay, so hear me out. Hear me out. So you know how uh, in Chainsaw Man, the point is that Denji is a guy who has a, a chainsaw dog. We all know what a chainsaw dog is. Of course. Who has a chainsaw dog's heart. So what if Shark Kick is a shark with a demonic man's heart? Mmm. So instead of being a shark man, he's a man shark. Mm. And this is all a prequel to Street Sharks. Yes, exactly. This is uh, this is in the same universe as Street Sharks, of course. I had a close idea where what if it was a normal shark that was bitten by a radioactive person? Yeah. <laughs> and he gains the power of a man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to miscellaneous thoughts because we're having some fun here. I know we're really low on time, so I'm just going to shotgun a few of these. And then if any of them sound like stuff you want to talk about more, please let me know. I'm happy to dive into it. Does it sound good? Okay. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed, I thought it was interesting how she breaks her leg defeating the uh, murderer. And I thought that was a cool parallel to just how shark kick. That's obviously his main power. So kicks were very important. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say, Jordan, I think just to go back to Time Paradox Ghost Rider, this is definitely in the same cinematic universe. Yes. So I look forward to their crossover. Also, one thing I know is really important is Shark Kick has the same amount of volumes as Chainsaw Man currently, which was 11. <laughs> and another minor detail I thought that was really cute is when she goes into Kiyomoto's room, she actually buys multiple copies of the first and second volume as a way of like financially supporting her friend. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Because I actually was thinking about why she did that. I was like, oh, so she could like help up the volume sales. That has an interesting parallel with uh, Fujino's office where she's got all of the volumes of Shark Kick, but like a bunch of volume 11s to fill yeah. out her shelf because I think her goal is to make it much longer than that. I mean, there's clearly some kind of uh, number symbolism going on. Like, David, you pointed out that they make four panel comics and they start in fourth grade. And as everybody knows, the word for four in Japanese sounds like the Japanese word for death. Yep. So that's like a lot of symbolism is based around the number four when it in Japan. Yeah. Also, the time it was, I think it was like 224 when she got murdered. Two plus that two. That was probably a coincidence, but yeah, if we're stretching. You know what? No, I think he's a genius. I think it was all intentional. Chad and Moto, done it again. The nice thing about being a genius is that, like, a lot of the stuff that you do accidentally, you just get credit for it anyway. That's what uh, my photo teacher told me, is anything you accidentally do that people think was clever was on purpose. For sure. <laughs> Art is a function of the viewer, not the creator. That's true. Whenever somebody comments on one of my YouTube channels, or one of my YouTube videos with like, is that a reference to this thing? And I'm like, oh, that kind of works. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I intended that from the start. Yes. <laughs> when somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. 
Of course, that's why I say every time when I'm at Denny's. But just to finish these little nuggets up and then you guys totally add your own. Did you guys notice that Fujimoto is facing backwards when she's in uh, Kiyomoto's room, but then turns around after she like has kind of returned to like the present and stops like imagining or I guess is like done that stage of grieving for I guess a lack of a better term. You only see her back after that scene for the rest of the manga i did not notice that that is Whoa. that is uh, see this fucking is genius fujimoto is a fucking genius <laughs> it's just like damn this guy actually read the series one thing that like um that i picked up on that i thought was really funny there's a point where they show fuji fujino's uh, or no they show kiyomoto's uh, art and there's like a progression where each one underneath it is more detailed and until i'm pretty sure the last drawing is a 3d model i'm not entirely sure but i think it is and i liked that you think everything is a 3d model it's usually very apparent. Yeah, like i tell c that all the guns in that series were 3d models <laughs> superimposed over the drawing Oh. For about two chapters, everything. I read that one, and, and like, that makes sense of some of the jankiness in that art. So here's the thing. I unironically completely love ITLC. David does not. Why don't we save that as a conversation for when we start uploading the audio? Because I, I actually was thinking about the two. I was like, I really wonder if Jeff is ready. <laughs> yeah. It's also like 95 degrees, so I want to turn my air conditioning on when we finish. Yeah. Um, so that's also why I'm like, come on. My mic, unfortunately, does pick up my AC, which sucks. You got to get one of these fancy XLRs so that you can have a fan on you the whole time and hopefully not even have to noise reduce it. I'm bragging now, but if there has been like an airplane whine the entire time <laughs> that this podcast has been going on, <laughs> I'm going to look pretty dumb. <laughs> I'm going to let you know. I'll be like, Jeff, you fucked up your audio, bud. Re-record the whole thing. <laughs> I think, Jordan, I think I left my fan on during the Red Robin Hood had to do some work but i got it so i think we'll be fine but yeah and then so just last little things david was talking about hunter's guild red hood listeners you can listen to that episode on our patreon i hope that one never becomes a shonen flop because oh my god it was great i like it yeah she's so thick she's so thick you guys she's so thick it's pushing boundary also like the action <laughs> reminds me a lot of chainsaw man and i like that but she's so thick what treats did you bring me today, Red Riding Hood? I brought cake, mm. Grandma. All the <laughs> fucking cake. <laughs> Jeff, we have a power word when we do these, uh, like one chapter reviews, and I said mine was porridge because she's thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let's just move on. I'll talk about Red Hood later. <laughs> So I actually looked up the album that Don't Look Back and Anger's on, and it actually faces someone facing backwards and someone facing forward. Oh, yeah, that, you're right. So I sent that to you, and Jordan was like, no, that's not that interesting. And I was like, fuck you. That was definitely on purpose. It's definitely interesting. It's on purpose. Don't let your dreams be dreams. I've been converted. Thank you. I agree. Thank you. And then the next one is that actually Don't Look Back in Anger was the song associated with the social recovery after the 2017 Manchester Arena bombing. Hmm. Oh. That, I feel, definitely was an inspiration for why he picked that song as a reference for this. Especially, you know, how recent that is. Fujimoto's a literary genius. He's definitely better than Hemingway. I, there's actually debate. Well, those people are wrong. Hemingway's fucking boring. Yeah, bro. He just writes words without pictures, bro. How many guys who are chainsaws are there in Hemingway books? <laughs> Not a single one! Fucking garbage! Right? trash <laughs> all right oh this has been a, this has been a really great episode jeff thank you for being on it shakespeare fuck <laughs> off yeah shakespeare fuck that we got chainsaw no no man. no 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 shakespeare is anime there's lots of people almost fucking their sisters in shakespeare <laughs> like teenage renaissance david which had a weird incest subplot for some reason and piss lots and lots of piss oh <laughs> Jeff, that is also one that if you haven't read, I think you would have Wh some- Which one? Teenage Renaissance David. It's a manga about a boy who looks like the David sculpture and everything, at pretty much every other page is a reference to like classical art. And I'm guessing it's incredibly stupid. Yeah, his best friend is, is Mannequin Piss, which is like a piss fountain that's really famous in Belgium, and he just pees on everyone all the time. <laughs> there is so much more piss in that series than you expect there to be. Like, really. Yeah. He rides mannequin piss. He propels himself by peeing so hard that he's like a hoverboard. I love how Araki basically like kickstarted using Greek sculptures as inspiration mm -hmm. for manga art. And just like over time, people just like made a bunch of manga with Greek sculptures as the characters. 
One of the things in uh, Teenage Renaissance, David, a uh, mannequin piss is wearing Jotaro's hat. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's, oh, I forgot about that detail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the series actually lasts like 30 chapters, and we're pretty sure Araki was like, you can't cancel this. I'm enjoying reading it too much. <laughs> and then when it kind of ran out of jokes, Araki's like, all right, you can axe it. But we're definitely over time, so why don't we go to the final verdict and shout outs. Uh, sound good, everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jordan, why don't you take us away with your six-word summary, good sir? Fujimoto is just the fucking best. Dude, that was my six-word summary, because mine was, wow, that was really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) These are very descriptive summaries, but it's okay, because it's correct. I like how you put two reallys in there, just to to meet the... Now I feel like a chump for actually trying so hard with mine over the course (laughs) of the... I've been trying to think up a really good one, and if I just, like, scrolled down and saw how little effort you guys put it... Anyway, mine is, art is struggle, then you die. That's really good. Love it. I will say a lot of times we put in some really high effort ones like mine for uh, Red Sprite was Thunderbolts of Lightning, Very Fiery Frightening, Bourgeoisie. Perfect. Right? Mine was better, which was what if Luffy was a Zionist? Yeah, it was a really good episode for Six Word Summers. Yeah. <laughs> I would say we either are like a 10 out of 10 effort or a, like a 3 out of 10 effort. And you just happen to catch us on one where I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to go to the lower road with my Six Word Summary for this week. Those are both accurate summaries of the manga. Yeah. Right? What else can you say? Should I read it? Yes. Why? Fujimoto's the fucking best. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the the next question I was going to ask is, should this be turned into a full series? But I think we're all in agreement that even like trying to stretch this into a continuation isn't a good idea. Most one shots are kind of possible prototypes or pilots. This is not a pilot. This is really just a 145 page graphic novel. This is 145 pages of Fujimoto working through some shit so he can get back to making Chainsaw Man. Yeah, this was just something he had to get out of his system. Jeff, when you said this is 145, I thought you were going to say the 145 chapters, as David put it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you a pass because each of these pages is as dense as a chapter of another manga. Absolutely. Nope, I'm not going to talk about Bill King and how fucking much I hate those <laughs> dense-ass pages. Our last little discussion is talking a little bit about Time Paradox Ghost Rider, because I honestly would say, since obviously there's not going to be more stories like this, our show hasn't sold you enough, now is really the time to read Time Paradox Ghost Rider, which has to do a lot with this. And then, uh, Jeff, have you had any experience with that series? I love it. I put it in the video, okay. and then it got canceled. Uh, I know, right? I really loved it. The art was beautiful. The messages that it was trying to send about like not overworking yourself and its exploration of imposter syndrome were really interesting. Just the fact that it chose to frame itself around the kind of plagiarism ended up dooming it just because people just couldn't vibe with the main character doing something that's kind of amoral, but like understandable in the context that if that happened to you, you'd think it was a dream, but also just like really was like a level of nuance that people weren't really willing to put into it like i really like that but comparing it to this i do think that this is a far better exploration Mm -hmm. of the manga creation process oh a time paradox ghost rider is more like a very interesting what if question paired Mm -hmm. with like an escapist fantasy that really only applies to a manga artist and the escapist part of that is completely lost on the audience who are just like why would you plagiarize that's terrible and then the further like takeaway message of don't overwork and and you know the desperation aspect that pushes him to plagiarize you know yeah but it also had to be like really rushed to fit any of what it wanted to say into its its length but like this is just despite being shorter does a much better job i think of portraying how much work actually goes in to making a good manga time paradox ghost rider tells us that they're working really hard on it but it also shows us the main character repeatedly completing an entire manuscript in one night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anybody who can do that does not have to worry about getting a job in the manga industry. (laughs) That's fair. I'm sorry, but like that guy's editor giving him advice like, well, I I don't know, you got to do something that's more personal. Like easily that guy could get work for any major company making manga based on established properties. You're really going to tell me that Shonen Jump cares like this much about being personal when they ran Beast Children? Oh, God. I haven't read that one. (laughs) Beast Children is, from a critical perspective, the worst thing. Like, this art, if someone told me a 15-year-old made the series, I would believe it. It is probably the worst drawn series I've ever read in Shonen Jump. And it literally ran for the Rugby World Cup, and it was canceled the week the the Rugby World Cup ended. 
It's about rugby, we should say. <laughs> it's about rugby and they don't play rugby for the first like 15 chapters or like the first 10 chapters or something crazy like that. I'm just Googling this now and it like for real looks like somebody made a manga out of in-betweens from yeah, the right? anime <laughs> adaptation of this manga. It's real bad. <laughs> it's so bad. It's good though. It's if you want to just read like the bottom of the barrel show and jump, that's that's why it's worth reading. The best part, if you do read it, you will immediately notice that the rugby, uh, the rugby ball, it's the same photo of a rugby ball used every single time. And it's just resized to fit it. I'm looking at two pieces of promo art back to back. And yeah, no, it's like the same Gilbert ball. Just one of them has been palette swapped to red and like given a little bit more like rough texture on it. But it's exactly the same ball at a slightly different angle. Every single time. I just looked at a panel and there it is again. Right? He just like took that photo and then just like, I guess combined the smudge and erase tools to give it like motion blur oh my god what is this hack bullshit you should just stream yourself reading and giving commentary in real time of beast children <laughs> that's the best way your audience can experience it the thing about beast children as opposed to tokyo shinobi squad is that they're both terrible but i kind of love beast children you know and Beast Children gave us the Sora. We've noticed, Jeff, that sometimes the series is very bad, but it has one character that's like at least a C quality. And there's one character named Sora in Beast Children who is the only character the author puts any effort into being like a remotely interesting character. He's taking a piss with like the main bad guy and he just straight up turns around and he says, why are you such an asshole to my friend? <laughs> that's great. That's the only good instance of good writing in that entire series. Decent writing. It's, it stands as contrast to the trash on everything else. But I think since we're getting into things people should check out, why don't we actually migrate to shoutouts? Unless anyone has any final thoughts they want to say about Time Paradox Ghost Rider or uh, Look Back. The thing about Time Paradox Ghost Rider and the thing about Look Back is that Look Back really isn't about the manga creation process. No. It's about the people who make the manga. And I think that in that sense, the fact that it is about people, you know, on like a deeper emotional level, if you su successfully do that, that is always going to be like the pinnacle of what you can do. Like, because I feel like the point of art and the point of uh, all mediums are of art is to build a human connection. Mm -hmm. It's to see something and just feel like it resonates resonates with you and the deeper point at which it resonates with you the better that it is look back just resonates with me and it seems like a lot of other people on just such an emotional uh, core level because even if you don't care about art you're not an artist or anything you relate to the grief you relate to the struggles because you struggle everybody struggles in other aspects of their lives and what can i say it turns out this is actually like a good series I am hard-pressed to think of a better one that I've read, only differently good manga. Yeah. I feel, like, about this manga the same way that I feel about, like, Spider-Verse and uh, Ro Roger Rabbit as movies, in that, like, you can make a movie that's different than those, but I don't think that it's physically possible for a human being to make <laughs> a better movie-going experience than those two yeah. movies. <laughs> I really love Spider-Verse. I was so excited when it won the Oscar. <laughs> it's peak fiction. In like one volume, this does more than most things Shonen Jump has ever published. And that's not a knock against most things Shonen Jump has ever published. It's just a testament to how good this is. It's like, well, this is manga and then this is literature. It feels like. <laughs> I think that's a really great way to like really to end it. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys ready though to go to sign-offs? Oh, yeah. Props to Jordan for making the opening and ending theme and being a great co-host. Props to Shannon for the awesome cover art. You can find her online at Illuminati and Nigel for being our generous art benefactor. Thanks to Tucker for assistance with pronunciation, translation, and other miscellaneous research. Thanks to Nicole and Audie for helping with social media. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Shonen Flop Discord. Come hang out with us and talk about anime, games, or whatever else is on your mind. We also have a book club and do regular movie nights. You can find a link to it in our show notes. Hey y'all, this is David from the future stepping in. We've launched our Patreon and we really would appreciate it if you'd check it out and 
consider being a patron. We have some awesome exclusive content like mini episodes, audios, drama, and deleted scenes. You also can even help us pick what series we cover next. I also really want to give a shout out to our Chainsaw Man level patron, Mavery. The series that they picked is going to be coming sometime in October, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a really great guest in the episode, so you sure picked a heck of a time to become a Chainsaw patron. If you didn't know, that level actually lets you just pick a series for us to cover within reason, but still, it's pretty awesome that you actually explicitly can pick a series we're going to cover. I also wanted to say that we finally had our merch store get expanded. We have some art from some of our favorite episodes, including the infamous Gomez moon shirt and the picture of Mashal punching out Harry Potter. They're pretty awesome and you can, and even if you don't want a shirt, you can get them as mugs, prints, whatever kind of merch catches your fancy. All right. Now back to the episode as I fade out. And a reminder, if you've been enjoying the show, to please like, rate, review, and share it. It really helps us a ton. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Shonen Flopcast and our website, shonenflop.com. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. But above all, Jeff, I want to just sincerely thank you so much for being on the show. This was a ton of fun. And where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at G0FFTHEW because I made that when I was uh, too young to understand <laughs> what a good Twitter handle was. You can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Mother's Basement or just search Mother's Basement on YouTube. I make lots and lots of good videos about anime or I think they're good anyway. Um, I think they're good too. <laughs> I think they're good too. Yeah. Your Shrek video, man. Love that video. I sent that to everybody. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I'm I'm really proud of that one in particular. Also, the Space Jam one. I, I like doing shit posts. I like doing extremely high effort shit posts. I lo- I loved the Space Jam one. That was really good. Like, I have to watch that. It is an isekai. Hey, the time I got reincarnated as Michael Jordan. <laughs> My favorite isekai is Army of Darkness. Yes. So um, out of my recent stuff, like, I mean, I think all my vidges are pretty good. Uh, if you're looking for anime to watch every season, I put out a series called Ones to Watch, where I just watch every single anime that's airing in a given season and talk about how good and or, you know, just existing it is. I break down the, the 10 that mm-hmm. are the best, and then I throw some honorable mentions in. I do actually watch every <laughs> single anime every single season so that's a lot of work god holy shit you fucking legend yeah so out of my recent videos i would say check out my metabots one not a lot of people will watch that it's i watched the fuck out of metabots i watched the fuck out of metabots dude i'm gonna watch your video because i love metabots i watch every video you put out so at least you have one person that watches them oh thank you i got at least a few but um yeah i, I would say um you know check out my metabots video if you want to hear about like a piece of fiction that is just like also transcends the boundaries of what you would expect of its format in its own way that format being pokemon style weekly children's shows and the reason it transcends that being that like most of the best artistic talent in the anime industry in the 90s all came together to work on that thing at once so like literally misaki yuasa the whole crew that is currently at trigger it's insane how good the animation in it is and then the other video that i would suggest people check out is chainsaw man is underhyped actually um, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> no, you cannot overhype Chainsaw Man or even adequately hype Chainsaw Man without spoiling its ending. That is fair. That is fair. Which is why I felt confident saying that. But also, like, it's just a really good video talking about Chainsaw Man. So, um. Well, again, we don't know anything about Chainsaw Man. <laughs> I've never watched an episode of Chainsaw Man in my life. <laughs> You can also find me on TikTok. That's uh, another Whoa. place where I've been um, doing Whoa. like mini manga analysis stuff. The one that I did of Makima in Chainsaw Man has been taken down and will have to be re-edited and put back up. I just haven't had time to do that yet. She likes to do... I almost said a huge spoiler, so never mind. Control yourself, buddy. Oh, fuck you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But you can find me on TikTok. It's at Jeffthu. Just G-E-O-F-F-T-H-E-W. Yes, that is a valid way to spell Jeff. In fact, it's the <laughs> only valid way to spell Jeff. The J's ah. are false and blasphemous. Please cut me off. Please cut Enough me off. Mr. Jones. Geoff Tate, my favorite uh, Queensryche singer. Have you ever introduced yourself as Geoff and just like, to, like say it to like a group of people, but say it to one person. And when they call you Geoff, everyone will, like be like, do you not know how that name is pronounced? I got it a lot through elementary school. The reason that my Twitter handle is G0FF is because that's geothu at gmail.com. 
whoa. And I just tried to embrace people saying my name wrong. Mm-hmm. People pointed out to me that Geoff as a nickname, just depending on how you hyphenate it, gets a little lewd. So, um, oh, jeez. I moved on from that. Sorry again for mispronouncing your name the first time. It's better than Geoff. It's also better than Jethro. <laughs> <laughs> you know why, though, you spell your name with, like that? Because you're a straight G. Why, shucks. Thank you. Aww. Thank you so much, uh, Jeff, for coming on our show. And thank you so much, David, for editing. And you should thank me for also editing, because now we're sharing that fucking job. You're right. We should uh, add that as a note in the cheap episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, thank you again, Jeff. This was awesome. This was a long time. I think we talked about this in like last November. So I'm really glad we could finally get this to happen. I'm glad too. I like helping to support people who are trying to establish their own brand in this space. Oh, it's hard to make it in anime starting out. You know, I hope this is helpful to you guys. I'm sorry it took so long. No worries at all. You literally have to watch every single anime that ever comes out. So like clearly your schedule is all booked up. So I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be completely honest, it was a little bit of a challenge, but like as soon as we got on the episode, like within like the first two minutes you've heard me typing, I was like, Jordan, this is like gonna be like a fucking awesome episode. So absolutely, I really appreciate you coming by. And thank you for inviting me on, because I had like a lot of fun talking with you guys. It was, it was a good time. I'm so glad to hear. Speaking of helping people out, just one last thing is I just want to give some shout outs to, in particular, some really awesome guests we've had on the show. These are people that I really consider really great friends I've made through the podcast. So I just want to start with the nerd alternative, Hassan. He is the nicest guy in podcasting. He was on our Double Arts episode and his podcast, The Nerd Alternative. It's a black British podcast taking a look at the weird and wonderful in the vast expanse of nerdum from anime, books, movies, games, and TV. They cover it all. The next one I want to give a shout out to is Jordan's friend, Trey. He was on our Hungry Joker episode awesome guy he actually helped me arrange a wedding gift for a friend of mine who i don't think he listens to this podcast so it's going to be a really awesome surprise so thank you again trey that was amazing you were able to put me in contact with that esports celebrity to do a wedding shout out for him and you can find his youtube trey watson music and of course there'll be a link to this and everything else in the description next one is another friend of jordan's i guess jordan just knows the best people in podcasting i just have friends Jakey, he and Hassan up there with the nicest guys. Uh, we'll have to make a tier list. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he was on our Dark Age. He was like our fifth guest ever. And he wanted me to give a shout out to Hearts Against Balance, an actual play podcast playing Interstellar. Interstitial. There we go. Yeah, it's a form of Judaism. <laughs> our hearts intertwine. Tony DMs a cast of some of our favorite characters in their adventure to defeat the evil Mickey Mouse. So I guess this is a Kingdom Hearts spinoff. Interstitial is a... Uh... Riley, yeah, that dude was awesome too. Yeah, that was a great episode. He invented the Riley method, which I might use in Build King, where you read one in three chapters and see if which anyone notices. <laughs> he skipped one in three chapters of Beachy because that series sucked. But yeah, so you can find him at stonygrotto.com slash H-A-B. Next, I want to give a shout out to Anime Out of Context. So Sean, super awesome dude as i talked about this is one of the guests that i was a really big fan of his work even before he was on the show he was on our teenage renaissance david episode so another reason to listen to it if our description talking about it with jeff didn't sound strange enough already you can listen to him now as sean explores the sometimes weird sometimes wonderful and always hilarious world of anime and remington tries to understand any of it and you can find them at anime out of context we're actually going to be on that show so hopefully if in the next few weeks you'll find us on an episode i don't know what we're going to talk about yet it's going to be exciting probably we'll be listening to something dog shit given what we had to force him to read so that's probably returning the favor hopefully it's not filled with as much piss and incest as teenage renaissance david which again the incest part just sean i'm sorry that was not on purpose we did not intentionally try and find the one series about incest that you were happened to be on because apparently that's like you keep running into incest anime also for what it's worth that was not the worst series we've covered on this fucking show <laughs> It was the worst incest-based yeah. series, or in series with incest. The most incest yeah. Finally, though, I want to give a shout-out to Kami Jace. If there was ever a person that helped us on day one, it was him. I remember when we posted a pod, he messaged us. He said, yo, give me a promo. I'll run it on my show. He runs a weekly cooldown. He was on our Guardian of the Witch, and I'm just going to run a promo for what he's working on now. Hello, hello, hello. My name's Najee. Most people know me as Kami Jace, and I host the weekly cooldown. It's a podcast where we get to know the gaming news of the week, and we get to know our guests. Every week is a different streamer, cosplayer, game developer, podcaster, and overall giant nerd. We sit down, we discuss the big stories, the small stories, and everything else in between. If you want to keep up up to date on the news and want to have a fun time doing so, listen to the weekly cooldown on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
these were really terrific people. Sorry, we only had so much room. There was definitely a ton of people I wish we could have had as promos on this episode, but just know we're always thinking of you guys. And if you ever want to be given a promo, especially if you're active in the Discord, just feel free to send me a DM. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been David. This has been Jordan. This has been Jeff. And you've been listening to Shonen Flop. Keep on flopping, floppers. Yeah. Yeah. I feel unclean. <laughs>